What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Grocery Outlet Bargain Market is your home for huge savings on name brand products. This week, get an amazing deal on Reuben's Corned Beef Brisket, just $2.99 a pound. That's a savings of up to $2 per pound versus traditional grocery stores. Also, start your morning off right with Fersanto Cafe Single Serve Brew Cups. 80-count packages of assorted varieties are just $14.99. That's a wow savings of up to 50%. Offers good through March 12th. Grocery Outlet Bargain Market. Welcome back to another episode of the Hardwood Knox. This is Adam Frommel here with Dan Favale and Andy Bailey. Today we're going to be talking about the San Antonio Spurs, and I want to begin this discussion by talking about the ridiculous culture that this organization has built. Because if you look at their two big free agent signings this offseason, the first is obviously LaMarcus Aldridge, who turned down an opportunity to go play with either the Knicks or the Lakers or really wherever he wanted to go. He could have been much more of a featured option. And instead, he's going to a system that he's not necessarily the best fit for because people want to play for these Spurs. They want to win championships. And beyond that, David West turned down millions and millions of dollars with the Indiana Pacers to opt out of his contract and play here on a minimum contract. What does that say about this team? It says good things, obviously. The one that... The David West thing blew me away. That he literally... Skydiving. This is amazing. Yeah, but you know what else is amazing? An iPhone 6S for just 49 bucks at Metro. Really? Imagine streaming all the way down with that amazing camera. I'm switching. That's smart. You know what else is smart? Parachutes. Woo! Switch to Metro and get an amazing iPhone 6S for only 49 bucks. Metro by T-Mobile. Phone offer requires port of number not currently active on T-Mobile Network or active on Metro in past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions. Literally left $11 million on the table to go play for the Spurs. And it's exactly what you mentioned already. They know that if they go to San Antonio, they may sacrifice a little bit in, you know, in the way of personal accolades and points and box score numbers, but they're going to be on the they're going to be on one of the best teams in the league. They're going to be in probably the best culture um, of any organization in the league. And <laughs> it doesn't look like there's any end in sight at this point. They're the team to be on at this point if you want to chase a ring. We normally identify whatever team LeBron is playing for as that team you want to go to. And it's still the Cavaliers or still LeBron to an extent, but the Spurs have shown they can be there year after year and the fact that they get these guys to buy into that culture though is still sort of incredible despite all the results that they've generated over the last few years you look at a guy like LaMarcus Aldridge a lot of people thought him leaving Portland had something to do with clashing with Damian Lillard or being sensitive to the fact that Lillard was becoming the face of the franchise but then you look at the team that he signed with where there really isn't a franchise face spot for him right now even after Duncan and coach pop leave you're still going to have Kawhi Leonard he went there 
to win a championship. They're able to get guys to come to them or to believe in them for basketball reasons alone, and and that's really just sensational. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure we've all heard at this point the, the questions about how well Aldridge fits with this scheme. You know, he's that ball-stopping power forward who wants to control possessions and set up from the elbows and take a lot of shots, and that's not necessarily what Greg Popovich's offense has done for a long time. But I'm still not worried at all just because he bought in for a reason, and that's what these Spurs do. They take talents, they get them to fit together perfectly, they run these seamless offensive machines, and now they have even more talent at their disposal. So even though you could be worried, and and it's understandable, it's perfectly understandable, I'm still not. I'm not really worried either. I, I think they're... If if Aldridge had gone to pretty much any other team in the league, I think his love of long twos and the ball stopping that you talked about would worry me a lot more. But Popovich, he's done it over and over and over where he takes guys and even if they're a square peg, he he figures out how to make them fit. And as talented as LaMarcus Aldridge is, it's it seems a lot less likely that he wouldn't be able to find a way to make that work. There still does seem I, – I, I fall into the same umbrella as you guys to where I don't think it will be an issue, at least not a long-term issue. But right now, when you're watching them during the preseason, you can kind of understand the concerns. It's difficult to glean insight when you realize they're not running their regular rotations. But it, preseason basketball usually is a good in, indicator of how a certain team is going to play. And the Spurs are jacking up a ton of mid-range shots right now in large part because Aldridge is there. Kawhi Leonard has actually been one of the biggest culprits thus far, but you have more than a third of their shots at the moment, I believe, are coming from mid-range, and that number needs to come down a lot. It's not, it's not just a matter of, hey, just a few points. It needs to come down a lot. They need to be able to exploit LaMarcus Aldridge's three-point range a little bit better. Kawhi Leonard, I'll even say, has to take better shots. He sort of seems lost when Duncan and Aldridge are on the floor together. That'll be something they need to work through. So I'll recognize that I'm not worried in the slightest, if we're going to look 20 games into the regular season, I think they'll be fine. But it is going to be a major adjustment. And while we all assume that it's going to be seamless, it will be interesting to see how it's handled early in the regular season. I am curious. I think I wrote an article about this like a week or two ago, and I was trying to identify the best player on each team. And some of them are tougher than others. You know, Boston, Utah, and San Antonio. You know, there are three legitimate candidates here for the alpha dog, for lack of a better term on this roster between Kawhi Leonard, Tim Duncan, and LaMarcus Aldridge. So who do we think it is? And does that matter? I guess is even the more important question. I guess I would answer your, first, or your second question first. And I, I, with the Spurs, I don't think that it matters. And it goes back to what you started the podcast with about their culture. Um, they, they are as selfless a professional sports team as I think I've ever seen in any sport in any league. So I, I, I'm not sure that's – I don't think that's a problem. Um, to name one, I think I would go with Kawhi. I don't think he's as good as Duncan or Aldridge offensively, uh, obviously. But his overall impact is, is still insane because of what he does for them defensively. And we saw last season the difference between that team when he was playing uh, and when he wasn't playing. They, they were a completely different team with him on the floor. He's the guy that has the biggest impact, I think, on them in, in a general overall sense. 
I actually disagree with you, but only because I think that Leonard is the best of the three offensively now, and that he really oh. showed that down the stretch last season and during the playoffs. I mean, it takes a pretty rare player to let Pop just give him autonomy in the offense, and that's essentially what Leonard had at the end of the year, and that's it true. worked for him. I mean, he's he's posting 20 points a game on good percentages, and as the guy who's drawing the most defensive attention. So you compare that against Aldridge, who doesn't take the most efficient shots and is in some ways a little bit overrated, I think. Uh, I, I will nominate him and say that he's the best on both ends now. By a small margin. By a small margin. That's mm-hmm. worth saying. That will probably be true by the end of the season, but I look at it this way and, and separate it into tiers. Kawhi Leonard is their most important player by far. Tim Duncan, to me, is still their best player. And while you point to what Kawhi Leonard did in the playoffs on the offensive end, incredible. Also an incredibly small sample size. And you just look at the things that Duncan is able to do and how much he has changed from when he first entered the league. Think about how many generational shifts his career has endured to this, endured to this point. It's at least three. And he's still someone that you can build an offensive attack around because he can pass from the post. He can hit those long twos, even though they're not efficient, it still spaces out the defense and gives others room to operate. And he still has that back-to-the-basket game. He still slashes to the basket, not explosively, but with precision, and you're always able to find him. He, to me, right now, is their best, most well-rounded offensive player. Kwai will get there as the Spurs rely on him more, and we've seen this gradual uptick by season to where his usage rate increases, and maybe he'll learn to be more of a facilitator as well, but... I don't know how you go with someone other than Duncan right now as their best offensive player. I think the issue here is that I didn't really define what exactly we're looking at because from a one-game standpoint, I would still take Duncan. I think he's the most effective player, but I'm kind of looking at it as like a season-long thing where I have to start worrying about Duncan's ability to stay on the court and need those nights off where Leonard is still a machine. That, I, I think that's the major difference here because I would agree with you that Duncan is the best pure basketball player. Yeah, I don't have any qualms there. You're, you're absolutely right. Now, I'm actually just thinking now, with Aldridge there, Duncan's not going to do the same things either. Even if we were to look at this in an early season vacuum, his numbers are probably going to go down. His usage rate's going to go down because the Spurs don't use Dia, and they didn't use Tiago Splitter. Like They're going to use Aldridge. He's going to be a focal point, and Duncan pretty much even said it. He, was, he said to LaMarcus, hey, you come in. I'm just going to adapt to you. So that really just lends even more credit to your point. It's interesting that none of us mentioned Aldridge. I don't know if that he's a one-way player in a two-way league. It's really it's great. He's overrated on that one way. I I would agree with almost by virtue of not taking the right shots, which could quickly be cut out. He might be overrated overall. I don't think he's overrated as an offensive player because he can still do so much. He's a little bit of an understated passer. He incorporated the three into his offensive arsenal last year, and for a veteran to do that this late in his career, that's really impressive to me. We'll probably start to see how well he can adapt when you look at the Spurs because, again, you don't want to see all those mid-range shots. That's the biggest part of his offensive game. It's a valuable part of his game, but it's also the least efficient part of his game. I get that, but it would be tough for me to call him overrated unless we're just talking about his status in general and not just his offensive abilities. If there was some way to take all or most of his mid-range shots and make half of them threes and the other half traditional post-ups, he would be one of the best offensive players in the league. 
because he showed last year that he can hit threes. Do we? Do you guys think that the Spurs will get him to buy into that to take more threes, eliminate some of those mid-range shots? I think he, I think they will to some extent, but I'm going to kind of talk myself out of calling him overrated now because just thinking about how good he is at positioning, he is a master at standing on that elbow and just making those slight adjustments that make defenses uncomfortable and open lanes up for the big man to dive, which I think Duncan is going to do a lot of this season, and he can make those high-low passes. So you almost don't want to take him out of that spot, even though it is setting him up to take those inefficient shots. That's true, and it's probably not fair of me to just automatically go to the field goal percentage in the mid-range because it does it definitely does open things up and when you have somebody who's made a career out of getting to the paint and Tony Parker you have Kawhi Leonard who's a good slasher and Tim Duncan has obviously done great things in the paint as well that's those are all going to be valuable sorry I cut you off Dan no that's not a problem it's also just a matter of I think it'll be a gradual process that he'll eventually cut out mid-range jumpers but there are certain players that just have a license to take those shots at this point because they can be legitimately great at them. Carmelo Anthony is someone to come to, who comes to mind, but even he has expanded his three-point arsenal. And Chris Aldridge Paul. will get... Got to mention yeah, Chris, Chris Paul, Paul as well. And in my mind, Aldridge will get there too where he cuts out a good amount of those. He's just a little shaky working off the catch still. He can hit threes and he has that range, but he's not really used to working off the ball that far away from the basket. You'll probably see more of that again gradually, and maybe as he gets comfortable, the Spurs will try and eliminate those mid-range takes because the NBA is turning into a three-point league more than ever. We're going to see records shattered this year, and you want to be able to capitalize on that with Aldridge if you're the Spurs. I think it's important to note that no one's really advocating for cutting out mid-range games entirely. Because yes, yes, from an analytic perspective, it is better to take a three-pointer or a close two on any given possession. But if you completely take that out of the equation, then it's easier to guard you in every other spot. There, there is still a place for it, even if it shouldn't be used as frequently. And you look a guy, at a guy like Tony Roten, for example, who never takes mid-range shots. If he suddenly develops that and is a little bit more threatening in those zones, then all of a sudden you're going to see his effectiveness increase in other areas as well. So could Aldridge take fewer? Sure. It would be wonderful if he did. But if you ask him to get rid of that part of his game completely, that's doing him and the Spurs a disservice. It's also just more acceptable for power forwards and centers to shoot mid-range jumpers in general because you're still bringing guys who aren't used to defending on the perimeter out. Whereas if you're a small forward or shooting guard or point guard, it's not that valuable because those guys are more used to guarding you there. But for someone like Aldridge, it really helps the spacing because if he's playing someone like Zach Randolph or if he's playing center and you force Marcus Saul to come out or DeAndre Jordan to come out, it does wonders for the offense. So there's that to consider as well. Uh, I'm going to try to change gears here, though. Do you? Do either of you have a lot of faith in Tony Parker still. Yes, but in what, it's tempered. Okay. Yeah. It, Elaborate. It's along the lines of if Tony Parker is going to be healthy, he'll be fine. He can his value to this offense is not even his ability to make floaters anymore or that developing three-point shot or or even his playmaking. It's just him getting in and out of the paint and screwing up defensive schemes and keeping them honest. If he's healthy enough to move like that, that's all him and Manu Ginobili need to do for the Spurs to make this work. I mean, he's clearly reached the point of no return in terms of his age. You know, we've seen it happen mm-hmm. to so many point guards once they get over that 30-year threshold, and he's well beyond that now. 
But I have no doubt that he can continue to be effective in this system because he is a flat-out master of it. He understands every nuance, and you can still watch these possessions where he manages to use four or five screens in quick succession to create space, and I'm not sure that anybody else in the league could run those plays quite as effectively. I also think that the Aldridge addition is huge for him because it takes the ball out of his hands a little bit more and lets him relax and lets him stay healthier in an ideal situation because now you have a new offensive hub to work from because Aldridge is going to have the ball in his hands a lot, and that should save some of the wear and tear on Parker and make the possessions he uses all the more effective. I'm with you guys on on that as well. I just want to clarify why I asked. Um, Last season, he was one of the worst in the league in real plus minus. I think a lot of that had to do with his health. And also how good Corey Joseph was because he did not get enough credit. I miss him. Even though I don't live in San Antonio and I don't call myself a Spurs fan, I miss Corey Joseph. We we, uh, gave Corey Joseph some credit on the Raptors podcast, so you should appreciate that. You should. I heart him. (laughs) The other thing... That is a little concerning to me, and maybe it shouldn't be, is he was really bad in Eurobasket this summer. Tony Parker was, and that's against inferior competition. It's a small sample size, obviously. It's only nine games, but he shot 34% from the field. Uh, he His turnovers weren't too bad. That's where I was going to go next. But he shot 34% from the field, uh, like I said, and he just didn't look he didn't look like the Tony Parker that can explode to the lane and that can have those crafty finishes under or around big men. Um, it just seems over the last year, year and a half that there's a, that he lost a step. And, and I, that's something that's really critical to his game is that quick first step. I can't tell if Dan was waving to get the talker to dismiss that entirely. <laughs> no, I'm not going to dismiss it entirely. I, I agree to the point that Tony Parker seems like a very old 33 when you just look at this Spurs team yeah. and what it's like Duncan and Ginobili have been able to do. But the Spurs are preparing themselves for this version of Tony Parker. They really started last year by bringing him off the ball more. I still think his movements in and outside the paint are going to be important. But in Euro basketball, his usage rate is probably through the roof, and they're relying on him a bunch more. You look at what the Spurs did last season, almost 10% of his shots were spot-up threes. I'm willing to bet. That was a career high for him, and he shot better than 43% on them. That's not a crazy great sample size, but it's a step in the right direction, and you saw his three-point percentage rise overall. And as Adam said before, having a Marcus Aldridge will enable him to sort of orbit the three-point line more, as will this increased usage of Kawhi Leonard that we saw in the playoffs. As you really begin to streamline the offense into the hands of those two, it makes life a lot easier on Duncan and Parker. They're not doing as much, and they're playing differently, but that's probably good for them at this point in their careers. I also don't think we should overlook the depth that they have at point guard now because they have Patty Mills, and beyond that, they moved to acquire Ray McCallum, who has always kind of struck me as a guy who would do really well in this pop system. He's not going to be a star. But he's play some point too, right? <laughs> Uh-oh, here we go. I'll leave that one to you, Dan. <laughs> oh, Ideally, he won't be playing point. But Yeah. No, I, I, when, we, when we brought up Parker... I'm kind of surprised that we're all on board with him still having a good season to varying extents, of course. But what, what does concern you the most? For me, it's, uh, it's the depth on the wings, just because you have a bunch of older guys, and then especially at small forward, the only true backup is Kyle Anderson, who I'm not convinced is a quality NBA player just because he has that one niche skill and he's really slow. Um, 
I will go to war over Kyle Anderson. <laughs> if you leave him on the Spurs, you're going to see what Boris Diaw would look like if he had been drafted by the Spurs. I'm sorry. He's probably not a small forward. He should play more of a four, but he's going to be fine. Bailey, Do you remember what up. Boris Diaw looked like when he came into the league as a member I of the if, Suns? I'm saying if he had come in with the Spurs, if Kyle Anderson stays with the Spurs, you're going to see what Boris Diaw would have liked, looked like as a lifelong Spurs. So I much, don't know. so Boris much Dia of being able to serve, yeah. So much of being able to serve as a facilitator from a forward spot is getting a step on the opposition and creating space. And he can't do that. He does not have the quickness or athleticism to create any sort of space. He's too easy to guard. Yeah, he's smart. Yeah, he's skilled. It's just I don't think it's enough for him to ever be a quality asset in that rotation. It's not going to happen at small forward because he is too slow, but if you move him to the power forward spot... Then how in the world is he going to play? And then beyond that, where's the depth coming from at the three? I mean, if you're, if you're moving Kyle Anderson to the four, he's playing behind Aldridge well, and West I'm, and Dia, and then it's Leonard and no one at the three. Well, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that... I'm not trying to argue in favor of the Spurs' depth at small forward right now. I'm going to war over Kyle Anderson's basketball career that you are marginalizing. That's all I'm saying. I get... Small forward depth is an issue for me. Their rim protection could be a little bit spotty. You don't know what Duncan is going to give you. David West has regressed. LaMarcus Aldridge does not protect the rim. That would be a bigger concern for me. But I'm over here. I'm just, I'm just team Kyle Anderson in general. So let's not mistake that for something else. You need to come I'm up with team... some sort of Kyle Anderson bet. <laughs> I'll, I'll, uh, I'll be the bookie on that one. But I am Team Kyle Anderson as well. I'm just not, just in the sense that I like his game, not in the sense that maybe he'll be very good. Because I have a lot of players. He like would be that. great if he got <laughs> to play at college again. You don't think the Boris Diaw ceiling is a fair? Comparison no, because Diaw is a freak athlete. Yeah, Diaw wasn't. He's he's put on a lot of weight. Since I can see why you age, want to make the comparison. But, I just don't think that they're that comparable. Yeah, I think Dio's in terms of like more. game and demeanor, they might be similar. But it, like Adam said, and like I said, he Diaz's athleticism put him on a different plane. And we've also seen. I mean, Popovich is easily the best coach in the NBA. I would argue that he's probably the greatest NBA coach of all time. But he has not hit on every reclamation project. I mean, if you look at a guy like. Austin, Austin Day. Day. Yeah, that, that's the first name that comes to mind for me. He doesn't automatically make every fringe player good. And to me, that's what Anderson is. I mean, Austin Day was there for like a hot <laughs> second. It wasn't like, I mean, Kyle Anderson, they drafted him. They see something in him. They're going to develop him. His game is going to change. You saw what he did in the summer league against guys who are younger and quicker. The fact that you don't think he's a quality NBA prospect is absolutely absurd. That's, I'm just going to leave it at that. That really surprises me. He's versatile in a league that values versatility. I'll give you he's not as athletic as Boris Diaw, but he can still carve out a niche in the NBA because he's so versatile. But what's his niche? Has, what, is, what role is he going to fill? On, in the Spurs-specific team? Yes. You're gonna want, yeah, you're going to want to develop a, a better three-point shot because it's not there right now. But he can still be a point power forward for this team in the same vein that Boris Diaw is. He can bring the ball up the floor – he can try and get into the paint. He can post up and make passes out of there. Yes, you want to see if he can get any quicker or more explosive, though it probably won't happen. Yes, you want him to develop a three-point shot. 
But to really say that he's not a legitimate NBA prospect or can't be a good player in this league seems very extreme given how little we've seen of him and how good he looked this past summer league. I mean, to be fair, I thought this even when he was in school. You thought the same of Kawhi Leonard, though, too, right? (laughs) For different reasons. I missed that one. We can rub that in every podcast if you want, but I I will stand by my Kyle Anderson opinion. I won't say that Kyle Anderson cannot be good. I just think that he has an uphill road, especially after you described everything that he can be. Is It goes back to Adam's point. How does he play then? Because they already have David West, Boris Diaw, Tim Duncan. Lamarcus because those guys are going to be around for another 10 years and won't. won't well, they'll definitely Kyle Anderson. be around this season. <laughs> In at least the next couple years. Duncan, This could be Duncan's last year, but... We did get distracted from my original question, though, which is just what concerns you most? Yeah. I mean, I addressed it. It would be their rim protection for me. Yeah. I think it would probably be uh, the wing depth. It's the same thing that you said, Adam. Um, Right now, Kyle Anderson is the only other small forward. Manu Ginobili is the next shooting guard in line. And how old is he now? 38. We've already seen that he's, he's lost a step. Some of the wizardry passes that he used to be able to get away with are getting away from him now. Um, he's, I think he's still really good, but he's not what he used to be, obviously. So yes, there is a, there is a question mark for the, for the bench with the wings. It does help, though, that you, know, you can run lineups with Ginobili, Danny Green, and Kawhi Leonard in at the same time. That's almost like they'll be able yeah. to get those shooting guard and small forward spots down by committee almost. But I will say, if you want them to have any semblance of real depth on the wings, yeah, you're going to hope that Kyle Anderson can play some sort of a role on this team now. He has, yeah, I feel like he has to be, he has to be at least rotation worthy this season. I think I've already made my opinion clear there. <laughs> so what do they do if he's not, Adam? I think that they're going to have to make a midseason move. Because they, that would be so weird. It really yeah, would be. It's really out of character. But they they should have the ability. I mean, they don't need like a star or anything close yeah. to it. But just acquiring like a legitimate three. I'm I'm thinking someone like Allen Anderson would be a really nice fit on this team. If they can go oh get God. a player like on on that level, then they should absolutely do it. And I think that they might need to. I have two questions. Uh, since we're talking about them changing their roster, this team left alone, though. Just assume they don't make any offseason moves. The depth issues are right there. What's their ceiling in the Western Conference, just considering that so many of them are new to each other? Is it fair to call say think, that they're the Golden State Warriors' biggest challenger, or is that being too premature? No, that's absolutely legitimate. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think there I, are I, a number of teams that could finish higher than them and might. I, I would not hesitate to say that the Clippers will finish with more wins than them, maybe even the Rockets. But this is a team that is going to come together really nicely by the end of the season. And even though continuity is so important in the NBA, I mean, the continuity that matters for the Spurs is that their big three is still in place and Greg Popovich is still in place, and they're going to figure out how to make it work. I still wouldn't be shocked to see them win high 50s, maybe even 60 games. Um and that depends on how quickly they can make all the new pieces mesh. I think there are there are worlds where it takes them a couple months to figure things out, but even in that case, I think they end up with at least 50 wins, and they're the scariest 
first round matchup as they have been so many times in the past. But if they can figure out the spacing with Aldridge and they can figure out, you know, <clears throat> how he best works in that system, I, they could be really, really good. Yeah, I've got them at fifty four right now. This team, I think it'll be wind up being high fifties. But it seems like this is going to be one of those teams where we're going to look back on this season, see what Greg Popovich did with the rotations and the rest of certain guys, and say, yeah, they should have won more than 60 games. They're not going to get to 60 just because of the way Greg Popovich coaches, and there might be a steep learning curve at the beginning of the year. But this is a team that by the end of the season, we're going to look at, and we're going to see them winning like a 60-plus win team. I do fully believe that. They just have so much talent, so many pieces and for all we talked about, for all those concerns, all of these pieces basically fit together, and that's huge. Except for Kyle Anderson. <laughs> well, if they want to address their wing depth, which would be my next question, and we, we kind of touched upon the Spurs' appeal at the beginning of the podcast, they should be a free agent destination of choice now. And I think Aldridge finally showed that they can be. If you're looking for wing depth, Kevin Durant's available over the offseason, how do you at least not try and get a meeting if you can work it out financially. Sure, why not get a meeting? And if you're Kevin Durant, why would you want to go anywhere else? Because <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think Durant wants to follow in someone's footsteps, and that's the situation he's putting himself in if he does go to San Antonio. He's not just the superstar there. He's the superstar who is always going to be connected to Tim Duncan. And I don't necessarily think that that's what he wants. No, I don't think it is either. And he's said a bunch of things in the past that can pretty much prove that. But it would be super interesting if this team is going to have the money just because they assembled this squad together under that old salary cap. And just looking at their books right now, they do have the means to be in that realm of offering him a contract. And while they're not ones to make those types of changes... Could you just imagine one more year of Duncan and Ginobili and you bring in Durant with Leonard and Aldridge? It's just fun that that feasibly and financially is a possibility. What if they sign LeBron for a minimum contract, too? <laughs> Would you be surprised? No, not at all. I maybe don't doubt Le- anything the Spurs want to do. Maybe when LeBron is 38 and still searching for ring number three, he'll have no choice. Ooh. Yeah, when he's 2-10 and ten in the finals at that point. <laughs> Ouch. Um, but now that we've officially finished lampooning LeBron for absolutely no, no reason. reason on this podcast. Yeah, my apologies. That means it's time for... Bacon! Bacon! Where's the bacon? I smell bacon! 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 Gotta be bacon! Only one thing smells like bacon! That's bacon! Yes, that's right. It is, once again, time for Burn My Bacon, and we are going to hand the bacon stick over to a giggling Adam Mel. So I was planning on going a completely different direction with this. But Andy's 2-10 and remark just burned a different set of bacon, I guess. You know, yes, LeBron is 2-4 and four in the finals, and that's not great. There have been a lot of extenuating circumstances in play there. But he always gets compared to Michael Jordan, who's 6-6 six of six in the finals. And to me, that is a remarkably stupid stat. Because, yes, it is, it is really impressive that Jordan was undefeated in the finals, that he won all six of his attempts. Why is that better than losing in the first round? You know, we don't talk about the times when the Bulls didn't advance to the finals, and that really should count against him. The fact that LeBron has already made it to six finals with some of these supporting casts that he's been handed, especially with Cleveland and all of the injuries they've faced, 
That's really impressive, and he needs to get more credit for that, while Jordan simultaneously gets a little bit less credit because he did get eliminated earlier. He's not really 6 of 6. No, that's totally did he fair. ever? Did, did Jordan ever lose in the finals? Or did, have he, did, did he have another first-round loss after he won that first finals, though? I don't know. He did not. I do not believe. Because he retired in crap. Oh, no, he did. I think that would play into it. Oh, wait, when he came back from baseball, right? Yeah. Yeah, they, I think they lost in the first round that year. Yeah. So one more. That's fair. Also, can I just, can I just say that Adams, or not Adam, Dan started that. I'm gonna, I will defend myself on this one. Well, you, you can say that, and I guess I You started. said when LeBron is searching for his third ring at age 38, he's going to his first. Clearly, I, I just started I was, laughing. I was clearly joking. You were being 100% serious. <laughs> you even just said off-air that you have a vendetta against LeBron James. But seriously, 2-10, oh, making 12 finals would be amazing. Well, and oh, I know. That's LeBron what I said. Is, LeBron has been in a legitimate position, one of the final two teams competing for a championship. 50% of the time in his career. That's absurd. I have Even always if, acknowledged that LeBron is, without question, the most talented player in the world. Right now, but we're talking in the schemes of all time. And there are certainly players, you can argue at this point, have had better overall careers than LeBron. But when all is said and done, when all is told, if people are smart enough to judge LeBron's career the way it should be judged, I think he will go down as the greatest of all time. If he doesn't, I think it will be because of how people are mistakenly viewing his career and not and less because of what he may not have done, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I'm not sure I'm willing to go quite that far yet just because he does still have a hill to climb and I'm a little bit concerned about like the back injection injections that he's getting before this season and the fact that his prime could be quickly ending right before our eyes. But I mean I, I ranked Everybody in or the top hundred in NBA history last summer, I believe, and I had him at number seven already. And that's once it was a spot ahead of Larry Bird. I think that that comparison has pretty much already come to a pretty definitive conclusion, and that there really isn't a legitimate case to be made that Bird has now had the superior career. And LeBron's only going to keep climbing that that ladder. Whether he gets to number one is is a question that I don't think we can answer quite yet. But it's pretty clear that he's already in that conversation. And if you want to hold up two and four as your primary reason that he doesn't belong in that conversation, then you don't deserve to be a part of it. Which I never brought up. Oh, I know. I know. This is not directed at you. <laughs> yeah, I know. I honestly... It um, is. It career, is. Accomplish- <laughs> career accomplishments aside, I would actually say that LeBron is the second best player I've ever seen behind Michael Jordan. And whether and or not his and who Jimmer, Jimmer's up there for me. I know nobody agrees with me, but I'll go to my grave on that one. Um, anyway, I didn't expect to uh, get off on a LeBron tangent, but I guess I'm I'm kind of responsible for that. Kind I of. Think Dan, I think Dan is mostly responsible, but <laughs> I'm a little bit responsible. But now that we've we've gone off on that, we are out of time in this episode. For the record, I was initially going to talk uh, about the Michigan punter. Who were we punter. talking about? Was this the, the Spurs, Spurs podcast? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, if you want to talk to us more about the Spurs, you can reach Adam on Twitter at Frommel09, F-R-O-M-A-L-09. 
Dan is at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. The show is at Hardwood Knox. And, of course, you can find us on iTunes and Stitcher. And uh, if you want to give us a rating on either of those, we'd really appreciate it. Uh, we look forward to giving you guys tons of great content throughout the season. Thanks for listening, and shout out to the one and only Bino Udry. The iPhone XR is here at T-Mobile, and there's a whole lot to love, like those perfect portrait mode selfies you're going to share. Nice. And how emojis now turn every FaceTime with the kids into fun time. <laughs> In fact, the only thing you'll love more than your iPhone XR is getting it included in the price when you get an unlimited plan. That's right. Get both unlimited and iPhone XR included for just 40 bucks a month. Sure, you can get unlimited somewhere else. But for the same price at T-Mobile, you get unlimited and iPhone XR. Join today and get iPhone XR included with your unlimited plan for just 40 bucks a line for four new lines. Call 1-800-T-MOBILE or visit a store today. $30 for essentials plus $10 for iPhone 10R with auto pay and qualifying trade-ins via 36 bill credits. Customers may notice lower speeds and further reduction if using more than 50 gigs per month. Video at 480p for well-qualified buyers plus taxes and fees. Contact us before canceling or remaining balances due. Qualifying service and finance agreements required. Zero down plus $20.84 per month for 36 months. Full price $749.99, 0% APR. Grocery Outlet Bargain Market is your home for huge savings on name brand products. This week, get an amazing deal on Reuben's Corned Beef Brisket, just $2.99 a pound. That's a savings of up to $2 per pound versus traditional grocery stores. Also, start your morning off right with Fersanto Cafe Single Serve Brew Cups. 80-count packages of assorted varieties are just $14.99. That's a wow savings of up to 50%. Offers good through March 12th. Grocery Outlet Bargain Market. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran. Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.